0: Hello, everybody welcome back to another episode of simply amazing i'm tim Ryder from the apple and let's jump right in shall we this team man um even in games that the lineup alone should count them out you know from the jump um these new york metropolitans continue to find a way uh, whether that's coming back breaking things open what have you uh there's really there, there's not an ounce of quit in this group um You know, throughout everything, and we're talking about the injuries, the underperformance, um, you know, the whole first month of the season. This was like the worst offensive team in baseball, and, you know, they're making it work. Um, The last we spoke on Monday, the Mets were heading into Atlanta with uh, more injury trouble on their docket. Uh, Michael Conforto and Jeff McNeil have since been placed on the I.L. with hamstring strains uh, McNeil appears to be in a better place than Conforto is. Uh, Conforto's press conference was downright ominous. Uh, initial MRIs revealed an issue, no doubt. Um, that much has been uh, acknowledged. The team characterized it as a strain, but um, you know that could range. The spectrum of a strain is uh, is substantial, so there's no telling how severe that injury really is. Uh, the last we heard. The team was waiting on a second opinion. That was on Tuesday. Uh, As of Thursday night, there's been no word on that since. Um, You know, that's a considerable blow if Conforto is going to be out for a while. You know, as we've discussed last week and many times in the past, you know, as Michael Conforto goes, so do the Mets. Um, Him playing well is almost a precursor to the team playing well. He just kind of solidifies his spot in the lineup you know, fortunately, I guess the, uh, the now heralded bench mob, now just the mob as Dominic Smith and Francisco Lindor are the only two Mets regulars left in the lineup. You know, they've held things down like a goddamn steel plate. <laughs> um, you know, and, and you know, you have guys like just all of them. T- Tomas Nito had a huge week, couple of very big hits, big home runs. Jonathan VR has been just, you know, he doesn't even have a great batting average, but, um, He's getting some very big hits. It's been very cool to see. You know, Kevin Pilar. We'll talk about him in a second. Um, you know, even in his absence, he's he's getting the uh, getting the clubhouse riled up, getting the fan base riled up. It feels like something special is uh, happening. Um, you know, the, t- the task gets a little bit taller with Pete Alonso, Hopefully, only temporarily placed on the shelf uh, on Wednesday. With a hand wrist issue stemming from a hit by pitch in the Cardinals series. Uh, Rojas tabbed his uh, Alonso's day off on Tuesday before the team's day off on Thursday as just that, a day off. Um, and they lost on Wednesday in Atlanta, but again, we'll, we'll touch on all that in a second. But, you know, after the game, the beans were were kind of spilled regarding that situation. You know, Rojas only acknowledged the injury at that point um, after the game. And also, shame on us for not picking up the wrist brace on Alonzo's uh, hand that he was wearing earlier in the week until after the fact. But, you know, Luis Rojas pointed to competitive advantage as being the reasoning behind him, I guess, cloaking Alonzo's true uh, affliction. And you know what? I'm I'm totally fine with that. Um, from not releasing the lineups until the very last minute, you know, to keeping the next day starter under wraps when applicable, you know, Louis Rojas is really he hasn't played around when it comes to protecting his team's internal internal matters. And you can even go back to the <laughs> the rumble in the tunnel. You can go back to the to the raccoon story. Um, he's done a very good job of keeping stuff that's supposed to be in house in house and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. We saw earlier this week, um, uh, Joe Girardi in Philadelphia. Uh, he got into it with, um, Gene Segura in the Phillies dugout and, you know, the the TV cameras caught them arguing and he was asked about it in the postgame press conference and he just, he got very, uh, (laughs) he got very salty, very fast. He was not sharing anything and, I guess, you know, John Boy from John Boy Media, uh, he put it up and I replied. I said, oh, well, you know, the raccoon stories i looking so bad right about now. And he's like, well, I guess people are, are saying that this might have been a more um, practical way to handle it. And yeah, I get that. I, I have no problem with, with facing stuff head on. Um, in this, in the Mets' particular situation, I think they used a harmless story. I think it got blown out of proportion uh, by some in the media. Um, I think at the end... You know, something like that, where you're drawing so much attention to the team, where in Girardi's case, I think that will, in the long run, bring more negative attention than, you know, teammates covering up a, a little, a little scuffle in the tunnel or in the in the clubhouse. Um, you know, for all we know, that shit happens all the time. Um, yeah, I have I have no problem with how the Mets handled it. I have no problem with how Girardi handled it. I just think that that has the potential to be. Um, continue to be a talking point. I guess the Mets kind of made that a moot point by playing much better after the whole situation. But, you know, if the Phillies continue on in there and they maybe, you know, then they're, they're playing well right now, but, um, you know, if they have a tough break, which again, this all might be for naught now, but, um, you know, that might come back if things get, if things get bad and, you know, Girardi getting all testy with the media, um, you know, that could just, I guess, set the wrong tone. whether it's the rest of the season and you know maybe it's already blown over who knows I'm not that tied tightly into you know the Phillies uh uh I guess rumblings or you know what's going on around the team but um yeah as far as how Rojas you know just handles his his business and his team's business very close to the vest in my opinion that's how it should be um talked about it for the apple this week you know in order for a, a team to weather the storm that the Mets have Kind of found themselves in and succeed yeah, succeed in spite of the challenges, and this goes for you know a baseball team, uh, any uh, any team, a high school team, a kids team, It goes for you know a company, a family, whatever. Um, strong leadership at the forefront. It's a necessity for that movement to take form, to take hold, and to kind of you know gain gain ground and make progress. It it, it, it takes some something or, or a group of people up at the front of that. As the uh, as the catalyst behind that entire process, uh, in the Mets case, Luis Rojas, you know, he's provided the club with a steady hand. At, at least, you know, he's made some decisions that, of course, you know, we've all questioned some decisions. I've questioned some decisions. I spoke about it last week. I'm not really one to harp on managerial decisions. Uh, there's a reasoning behind every decision they make. They, you know, in in Rojas's case, he's, you know. I, I, I want to say he's a year older than me. I'm 38. I think he's 39. Um, he's been in professional baseball for the last, what, going on 15 years or so. He's been with the Mets for 14 years. Um, you know, he knows what he's doing out there. And, you know, as far as game decisions, I, I'm not even really getting into all that because, again, it is what it is what we say is not going to have any effect on that but you know the other half of his job is keeping his players motivated and keeping his his team focused and uh you know amid all of these just controversies and injuries and adversity and struggles um you know that that specific job of his or that that responsibility boy he hasn't wavered at all and um uh, yeah, I, I talked about it for the Apple. He really does deserve a lot of credit for for keeping this team afloat. Um, you know, throughout everything, uh, he, he's remained level-headed, even keeled. You know, those locker room doors, they're sacred. That means epi- opinions from beyond those doors mean absolutely nothing. All that matters are the 26 players and the coaches and the staff in that locker room. And <laughs> that's the only unru- unwritten rule that I'm concerned with, if we're being honest, after the whole... Bullshit in Chicago with Tony LaRusa. Very quick tangent. Uh, If you're going to bring in a position player to throw 45 mile an hour fastballs, I'm swinging at 1 0. I'm swinging at 3 0. I'm swinging anytime you want. You're going to talk about respecting the game. Put a fucking pitcher out there. That's all I'll get into on that. But, um, you know, we as fans, um, even the media, we get wrapped up in the whole panic city thing it still happens even in this new age of the new york mets um in the past we've seen you know of course this has never been confirmed but the clubhouse has ventured into panic city from time to times at least again from the outside looking in but um under rojas that, that hasn't been the case you know 2020, uh, it was a skeleton roster The the rotation was gone. They fell short of expectations. And, um, you know, I guess that only added to the, the grumblings that Rojas might not have been the right guy for this job. I mean, the Mets didn't choose him. They choose Carlos Beltran. And, uh, Rojas was kind of thrust into the role once Beltran was removed, but you know, Steve Cohen and Sandy Alderson, they, they, they gave Rojas a vote of confidence last winter uh they made sure that the you know that he wouldn't be left um left you know left behind as the organization kind of moved forward and you know the the players by all accounts love him so i'm sure that had something to do with it but you know even higher expectations coming into this season as well as the hot seat that every incumbent manager has waiting for them when a new regime takes over um you know, heading into 2021, that kind of put Rojas under the gun again, and the avalanche of outside pressure was really only starting. Um, the early runners, uh, the early problems with runners in scoring position, um, as we were saying, the, the the fight in the tunnel, the the raccoon stuff, the firing of Chili Davis and Tom Slater, and then watching, you know, Kevin Pilar nearly get killed in the box on Monday, um, In addition to, of course, all the injuries, uh, you know, any and all of it could have derailed this train before it left the station. And instead they're, you know, they're rolling out of the other side of that tunnel and they're intact they got a head full of steam. They took two of three in Atlanta. Um, They came back in the third game in Atlanta. Like, you know, so many times over the last few years, we've seen this team, oh, gave up a lead in the seventh and that's it. This team just fucking quits from there. Yeah, that's that's not this team, man. Sure, look took a little while to get these guys warmed up, but um you know, when you got the twenty sixth and I mean, it, realistically, this is like the thirty fourth and thirty fifth guys on the fucking roster. <laughs> I keep cursing, I'm sorry. Um you know, realistically You have everybody picking up slack at this point. And uh, I know it's cliche now, oh, when everybody gets back, we're going to be great. Yeah, when everyone gets back, the Mets are going to be competitive. They're going to be full again. But it's still going to be a transition period between um, fighting for your life and putting it back into fourth gear and coasting. Uh, You know, appearing to have rallied around all the nonsense that this team has been dealt with so far, that that they've had to deal with so far, you know, that uh, an identity is kind of being built it never say die never quit just you know come and get us this is this is the epitome of come and get us when Brody spit that nonsense a couple of years ago it was just you know blovial agent bullshit um now it's come and get us look we got our fucking it's not even the b team it's the c team out there and we're holding our own still in first place come and get us that's you know again outside looking in that's what it feels like. And and even the fan base is fired up. Like, yo, come fuck with us. I dare you. Come on. Let's go. Well, we're gonna put our third string shortstop. We're gonna put Jose Peraza out there. And we're still gonna beat you two out of three. It doesn't matter if you're the Braves. You know, that's the mentality that this team at least feels that they have right now. At least again, from a third a third uh an outside perspective. That's the energy that at least that's the energy that the fans are feeling and I think Louis Rojas should be lauded for that, um, as should the veteran clubhouse leaders, who no doubt have kept things, you know, moving forward um, throughout all the problems. You know, even if some of them haven't really been producing on the field. I mean, Lindor, uh, his start in Queens has been dreadful. I don't think he's hitting above 200 yet, and you know, despite all of that, and there's been some hiccups in the field too, which nobody was expecting. But you know, he's remained upbeat. Um, he's fueling this team's fire to pick their teammates up. And there's a lot of teammates to be picked up right now, whether it's injuries, whether it's slumps. Um, you know, look at the starting rotation. Marcus Stroman, whose positivity is just off the freaking charts. Taiwan Walker, who's been terrific, and you know, he hit the IL on Wednesday with side tightness. Um they're doing that as a precautionary thing, and I guess that's fine, you know, next man up until you run out of him, but even David Peterson, um, coming off 7.1 innings of of terrific ball against the Rays last week, Uh, retired, what, 17 in a row to close out his night, Um, got a little touched up in the fifth in Atlanta on Wednesday, but still, he's making such progress and such strides. Uh, You know, I don't look at his whatever his ERA is four something, five something. I don't look at that and see, oh wow, he's having trouble. No, he's not. He has one bad inning. And for a guy who never pitched above double A, he's really coming along. And we could talk about Peterson every week and say the same thing. Um, just really, the progress he's making is just uh off the charts. And 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 right, you know, back to Pilar who you know, despite looking like Donnie Stevenson, knocked him out. Maybe he wasn't celebrating as much as he should have after elevating. But um, he still came into work on Tuesday, all battered up. My, my daughter's like, can I see a picture of it? Because she heard me tell, talking about it. Can I see a picture of him? I'm like, no, you can't see a picture of him. It's awful. But happy birthday, Lily. She turned 11. I'm recording on Thursday. Uh, just in between dinner and cake. Knocked this thing out. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't even show her the picture, man. Uh, maybe I will. Get her fired up. That's part of Mets lore now. But, you know, life and death situations, they are very rare occurrences in this game. Uh, and the Mets watched that exact scenario play out with Kevin Pillar at the plate on Monday. And they still got the job done. They completed their objective. Get the win. Um, you know, we had pits in our stomachs watching from home. This team had to go back out there and win a game. You know, that's, um, it's hero- you know, heroic shit. or Brave, courage, wh- whatever. It's guile right there, man. Um... You know, the imaginary parallels of actual combat and athletic competition, you know, they're brought up a lot, and most of the time it's bullshit. Um, on Monday, that was about as close as the two can get to overlapping, at least in my opinion. You know, there's no comparing lucratively, uh, lucratively compensated ballplayers to, um, you know, war-seasoned actual you know, combat veterans, you know, this is a children's game. Uh, there's no comparison between a professional athlete and a professional soldier. But the sort of dedication that goes to one's craft is, is you know, very similar. Just get the job done. At all costs, get the job done. In Pilar's case, I mean, at least on Monday, that, that cost could have been uh, tragic. You know, there's really no telling what happens if that fastball's a, a little higher or a little tighter. Honestly, I didn't even want to think about it. Um, he spoke to the Mets media corps for a solid half hour on Tuesday, answered every question thrown his way, including including talking about the many what-ifs of the uh, situation. You know, if this team has the basic survival instincts to overcome that type of adversity that they faced on Monday, I wouldn't put anything past them as far as, you know, facing the challenges they've been dealt with um, on other fronts head-on. And that level of clubhouse leadership—it starts at the top. I mean, from Rojas and his staff leaning on the veterans to keep everyone focused, uh, to the young guys—you know, taking cues from the the older guys in in the, in the locker room—it's all coming together in spite of the adversity. It's uh, you know, it's all about what what's happening, what we're watching take place. Uh, taking two out of three in Atlanta now leads to Miami, and again, this was a big week as far as interdivision play. Um, these are the games that the Mets have to win. These are the games that separate themselves from everyone else in the NL East. Uh, they head back home next week. Um, yeah, this is you know everyone likes to look over the Marlins, but this is a uh, it's a it's a dangerous team as is. Um, and you, you know you go look even further and see what's coming down the turnpike, and you know this could be a real. Uh, a thorn in the Mets, a thorn in whoever in the National League East side. These are, this is like the ideal spoilers. But, um, so they're only going to see one of the Marlins' handful of frontline starters this weekend Pablo Lopez, who was supposed to pitch on Friday. Uh, he's pitching on Saturday now. Uh, there's still going to be a lot to be intrigued by. On this roster, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, you know, there are surely not going to be pushovers by any means as the season goes on. But uh, one of my absolute favorite Marlins content creators, uh, Stopher Cochran, over at Prospects 1500 and Fish on the Farm, is going to join the show for a quick series preview. It's going to be right after the break. We'll hear from our sponsors. And uh, we'll be right back. Hang tight. This episode is brought to
1: you by FanDuel. Football is back. And the best bet you can make
0: is downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It doesn't matter if you're new to gambling or an old pro, FanDuel has something for everyone. And as an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you know your bets are safe. There's also never been a better time to use FanDuel because right now you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. You can even turn a small wager into a big payday with a same-game parlay bet. Just sign up with the promo code SPOTIFY to place your first bet risk-free on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms
1: at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Fall Line is a true crime podcast covering the coldest cases in the southeastern United States and occasionally beyond. We focus on the missing persons, the unsolved murders, and the unidentified does that don't get media attention. Empathetic and intensively researched, The Fall Line will take you on deep dives into unsolved cases that you've never heard of and make you wonder why you haven't. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: All right, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, with the Marlins coming in, uh, I'm sorry, with the Mets heading into Miami for the weekend. Uh, of course, we're going to do a little uh, little Marlins series preview. I got my buddy Stoffer Cochran. He's the Marlins contributor over at Prospects 500. I know he does some work with Friars on the farm. And uh, Stofford, thanks so much for coming by, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Love talking baseball. Yes, sir. Um, dude, no matter, I guess no matter what year it is, no matter what the roster looks like, um, You know, there's off years, of course, but man, these are just some overachieving fish you guys got down there.
1: It's been a rough stretch lately, but uh, they're still plugging away at it. And you like to see that uh, never give up attitude. That's for sure.
0: Well, you know, all things considered with, um, you know, I guess without going out and, and, and making themselves real, real players on the uh, on the top tier free agent market and kind of just, you know, op- operating the way they do. Um, you know, outside looking in, it kind of feels like they get the most out of, uh, out of what the rosters they put together. And, and the future is kind of looking even brighter than, a uh, brighter than most, I should say.
1: Yeah. I, for one, was a fan of their offseason not going out and spending a lot of money because there's a lot of guys in the minor leagues that are getting close to knocking on the door. And you got to have the opportunity to, uh, are there for them so that they can prove themselves.
0: Oh, for sure. And, and just, you know, I guess with the current core that they have up, um, you know a couple of veteran guys, you have your your Jesus Aguilars, who I'm a big fan of. Uh Corey Dickerson, Miguel Rojas, Jazz Chisholm is back, who's been such a just an impact maker. Um, really nice pitching staff. I know this weekend, uh Pablo Lopez starts thing off, starts things off on Friday, but you have, I guess, penciled in two uh, two very young guys, Jordan Holloway and Cody Poteet coming in um and taking over the weekend duties. What should we expect from these guys? Uh,
1: a lot of strikes. They attack the, <laughs> zone. They attack the strike zone, and they uh, the pitching staff is really good at that. The coaching staff they really want them to strike the zone and make <clears throat> the batter hit a good pitch. So, and Eliezer Hernandez had a really good rehab start yesterday for the Jumbo Shrimp, so he might be up taking one of those spots for Holloway or Poteet too.
0: Oh, what, for for the weekend series.
1: It's possible. He looked really okay. good.
0: Okay, so those, those, guys, those two are, are, are really just penciled in at this point. Again, everybody, we're recording on Wednesday, so hoping for the best Sorry. as far as scheduling. But <laughs> it seems like we have a contingency plan, so we got the inside info here. Um, and speaking of, of the Jumbo Shrimp, which is probably one of the best uh, team names in, the minor, in minor league baseball, uh, Jesus Sanchez has been absolutely crushing for them, and he's probably a guy that we should all be looking out for soon.
1: He is on fire. He's hitting just, what, 477 after yesterday's game? Yeah, with a 511 on base percentage. Wow. Uh, I was lucky enough to get to a game when they were in Jacksonville, and uh, I got to saw him. We uh, sat in the outfield, so I got to see. And he's locked in defensively, too. Every time the ball hit the bat, he was heading the right direction, doing all the little things on the field. So you like to see something like that, and especially since he's so dialed in at the plate.
0: Oh, it's so cool. I mean, he's just one of the few that are coming up that are um, really just blue-chip guys. I mean, Sixto Sanchez who should be back in the mix soon, right? He was doing a rehab assignment recently.
1: Yeah, he's uh he's getting it back. They're not going to rush him. There's really no need with the other guys that have stepped up. Oh, yeah. way you know, Trevor Richards. Wow
0: uh trevor not trevor know,
1: richards trevor rogers sorry not, I'm no that's okay over here
0: <laughs> no 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 and, and in my head i'm still thinking garrett richards but no yeah trevor rogers has been terrific i know the mets saw him early on in the season you know a lot of fans are like oh who is this guy and i'm like oh no 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 this is <laughs> this is someone to watch and he he shut him down completely um and he's still kind of doing his thing and you know you have alcantara who's got electric stuff uh pablo lopez who again we just talked about he's uh uh, you know, it, front line level stuff, um, without a doubt. And then you get, again, Sixto, uh, Edward Cabrera, who's making his way up, um, position guys, uh, Jose Devers and Monty Harrison. I like Monty Harrison. You got to hope he's going to come around soon. Um, Louis Brinson, who I'm a big believer in. Again, just so much, I guess, fluidity between the minor league roster and the major league roster. And that's kind of going to keep on continuing down that uh, that road as the season goes on, right? Oh absolutely.
1: they uh, they got a lot of athletes, especially in the outfield and they need to um, really hone it in at the plate uh, like Monty Harrison and Lou uh, Lewis Brinson started off a little slow this year. Um, his last if take a chance if you have it take a chance and look at his last 14, 14 games he's uh, he's been hitting the ball really well.
0: I know, I mean, just even from afar, I, I've been following him um for a couple of years, you know, and everybody, me and Staffer actually met through the uh through the, the card collecting hobby. Um and you know, I've been holding Lewis Brinson cards for a few years now, just kind of waiting <laughs> for the explosion. So I've got I've got a rooting interest for sure. But um yeah, I mean if, they're gonna come to the point where there's gonna be kind of too much talent for the uh for the starting lineup and you know, that's a good problem to have. And, and you know, I think Bladé day is probably leading the way here, right? You think he's going to be making an impact this season? Are they rushing him along?
1: No, I don't think he'll make it. Everybody there. A lot of people are calling for him to come up and make an impact, but we, um, we're still sitting there with Duvall. and, um, Dickerson, so you got Jesus Sanchez ahead of him. They're going to give Monte Harrison a chance before they start using the options on, you know, Belay. I don't, and he frankly is not hitting all that well in the minors right now. He's, I think he's hitting 225, if I remember correctly, with a couple home runs. So they'd like to see a little more consistency out of him, especially on the breaking stuff.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, just from scouting reports and what you read on him, um, he really seems to be quite quite the player. And, you know, that's kind of been the Marlins' MO for so long. They they, they do such a great job of identifying talent, uh, developing talent, and then, I guess, in the long run, flipping that talent over for more. But, um, you know, I, I guess the fans kind of have to be going through it at this point, right, kind of just waiting for that next peak.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're um, there's a lot of talk about extending jazz now. Oh, I think you well, have to, I'm but on the chatter line anyway. So I'm for it. I projected him at the beginning of the season for a tier one, like a breakout player, someone who's going to be an all star every year.
0: Yeah, well, he's certainly on his way. I know he took someone deep yesterday. Uh,
1: the relief pitcher for Philly it was a hundred and it was a point one off of what Degrom threw him. He's the only. MLB player this year to hit a home run off a hundred mile an hour plus pitch.
0: It was uh, Alvarado left-handed nasty stuff. And yeah, lefty
1: on lefty attack.
0: You know, if you got that type of bat speed that you can take guys who are hitting triple digits out um, and you're just a rookie. Oh my goodness. The ceiling is just uh, through the roof. Well, that doesn't make any sense, but yeah, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wanted to ask you about Peyton Burdick And, and, and folks, I'm sorry. If you guys aren't familiar with these names, uh, the Marlins, the Marlins system is extremely deep. Um, you know, if you hear someone you haven't heard of before, write them down, look them up. Cause uh, again, a lot of very interesting players bubbling through that system, but I wanted to hear about Peyton Burdick because I'm a fan.
1: Oh, baby trout. I love him. He, uh, <laughs> he's one of my favorite players that the Marlins uh, drafted. He was uh, in the 2019 draft behind Bladey, behind Misner. He was the third outfielder they selected. Um, He's been impressive every step of the way. He came out hot in 2019. COVID zapped all of minor league baseball this year. and he's starting to heat up at the plate yesterday. Uh, he was four for five, I think it was, with a home run and a couple doubles, so he's starting to pick it, pick it all back together. but he's a short, stocky kind of just power hitter is what I think of.
0: <laughs> is he like uh, I guess in the Dan Ugler? form where he can you know he's going to be average and power is he kind of just focusing on on you know making an impact with uh with impact
1: I think I think he'll I think he'll kind of like a Dan Ugla but I think he's got a little better hit tool than Dan Ugla did so oh
0: nice well he had a couple of really nice years I mean before he fell off kind of fast but he did yeah but uh really a very nice player for a few years he was um he was up there as one of the top contact guys in baseball very uh very you know it's so funny looking back on the Marlins cuz they had these very very just intricate teams where they made the most out of the opportunity they were given and as Mets fans i mean we're very familiar with that process with uh you know the Mets you know pretty much acted like the Marlins for the last decade or so <laughs> and uh you know just seeing them make do um at least again from an outside perspective was always really cool to see but Boy, it looks like they're, uh, they're on their way up again, that's for sure.
1: It's been a long time of coming, the new ownership and the Derek Jeter regime with the Trust the Process and Kim Ang coming in. Uh, they're really taking a hard look at it, and I think they're building it the right way, which is what you have to do.
0: What's the fan sentiment with Jeter at the helm? Is, is, this a, you know, is everybody kind of just riding that wave, and are, are, they, are they being patient? I guess that's, that's my question.
1: It feels like they're patient, but I think the patience is temporary because of the history with the Marlins always selling off their players. And I think once that first big extension, kind of like the Braves did with Acuna, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, a big extension like that where they lock in a player for their – to be their franchise face, you know what I mean? Yeah. So once they do that, then I think it'll really take a lot of the tension off.
0: You would hope so. I mean at least it's a step forward in the right direction um and they have you know <laughs> over the next few years they're going to have multiple candidates to kind of fill that role but I think I'm with you on the um on the on the jazz taking the jazz direction there it seems like the way to go uh you know just totally affable with the media um just you know this is the type of guy that at least again outside perspective that you'd like to build a team around
1: oh Absolutely, he's he's teachable, which is big because Miguel Rojas has been you know giving him pointers, and then he's taken what he's learned in um, the MLB. And when he did his rehab stint with the Jumbo Shrimp, he was talking to the other players and was like, "You just have to have fun out there, and that's what it's about." And you could see the Jumbo Shrimp players loosening up and playing a little better too. So it's fun to see that he's he's teachable and he absorbs the knowledge and he shares the knowledge and he's just a fun person.
0: Now you're talking about Rojas, um, you know, I guess having that kind of veteran leadership around a, a very young team, a very young core, uh, between him and, and, and Aguilar. um, I guess moving forward, do you kind of feel like, <clears throat> uh, trying to figure out how I wanted to word that and I kind of lost where I wanted to go with it, but <laughs> no, I, I guess the, the revolving door of, of having a veteran in place, um, how important do you think that is for, for such a young team, a young – with so much turnover expected in the next few years to kind of have some stability there?
1: I think it's uh, it's, it's crucial because um, they need to have somebody walk the walk and show them how to do it. And we have Marte. He, uh, I think he right. needs to be extended for another year. I, I forget about him sometimes because he hasn't played in so long. But Yes. Yeah, and, <laughs> and you have Andy over there – or Brian Anderson, well, and he's uh, not very – hitting very well right now, but it's just a phase. He'll, he'll hit out of that and he'll end up right where it needs to be. So there's veteran leadership still on the team. It's just, they need to make sure they keep some of it going forward while not limiting the opportunities for the younger guys coming.
0: Now, one of the guys who, who left Miami um, in the off season came to New York, Jonathan VR. Um, He kind of fit, I guess he fit that role in Miami. Well, again, this is, I don't, I'm not, I am i do not have a very, uh, detailed knowledge uh, uh, of the team at, you know, at that level. But, um, you know, what he's brought over to New York, especially in the wake of all the injuries, and uh, I'm not sure if you've caught wind of the bench mob, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he he is at the, the front and center of the bench mob. He's been playing very well. He's taken on third base roles, which he, he hasn't played third base since
1: 2016,
0: oh, wow. I think. <laughs> and, uh, you know, playing fine. I think he's playing league average defense so far. Um, you know, do you think – His presence was missed, or could you see him? Was it evident that he could take on this role somewhere else and kind of be that clubhouse leader?
1: Um, For Villar I don't think it was really a fit in Miami. I think once he started slumping, and it was a young team, and at that time in 2019 with the whole COVID thing, uh, he needed a change of scenery, so they traded him to Toronto.
0: Oh, right. He went to Toronto first.
1: For uh, uh, Mr. Marlin's son, Griffin Conine. That's right. Another another power outfield bat. He's probably got the most power in the out, uh, minor league system right now for the Marlins. So. Really? I know he we can... had a
0: really really hot start to the season, but um it's so funny. I guess, you know, for 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 years and years you saw like former players kids getting drafted and it was like almost like a a, a ceremonial thing. And now in the last <laughs> like decade or so it's like, oh wow! Like, yeah, you really got these, uh, you know, blue chip prospects that have had the opportunity to kind of develop from a very young age, and boy, they're getting up and they're just monsters. Even like the Bobby Witts of the world. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's cool, but you know, we, you know, Jeff Conine, you know, all I could do is picture him in those teals, and my goodness, sharp <laughs> uniforms.
1: Oh, I wish they'd bring him back full time.
0: Man, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm 37 years old. I, I remember the the you know the inception of the Marlins, and boy, that was. That was pretty cool, man. Charlie Huff throwing knuckleballs and shit. That was awesome. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I still have my original Bart Simpson binder with when the Rockies and the Marlins came into the league where I was putting all every card I ever got of them. I have so many just different random Marlins and Rockies cards in there with the little bottle caps that they came out with and those Marlin only cards
0: and things like that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Again, you have to be of a certain age to maybe remember these, but um they used to be able to get like uh, little plastic MLB helmets in the quarter machines at the supermarket, <laughs> and you know, probably you know, this is a few months before the MLB season started, and you pull one out and it's an F with a fish on it. You're like, What the hell is this? <laughs> and you know, you're reading the papers the next you know, a couple of weeks, it's like, Oh, they have a new team, and this is them, I guess. And, you know, I'm like 10 years old at the time, so yeah, oh That's okay, awesome. cool. But yeah, you know, good times trying, you know, and seeing that seeing the franchise go from the very beginning to hitting that peak and then just the up and down, up and down, Um, you know, a- again, I, I'll come right back to it. As a Mets fan, we certainly feel for these Marlins fans, <laughs> just kind of waiting for uh, waiting for the good days. And, you know, as, as a fan base who believes they're on the precipice of that um, we're, we're hoping for you guys to get there sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah. It's fun to watch when, both teams are good you know it's it's oh, a fun man. series to watch every time
0: oh yeah oh some of those battles from like the mid2000s I know the last weekend of um last weekend of 07 and08 I believe the Marlins played uh played spoilers and they did it very effectively uh you know just <laughs> intra division stuff always always good stuff but Stoffer, I can't thank you enough for coming on man what do you guys got going on over at Prospects uh, prospect 1500 and fries on the, uh, excuse me uh fish on the farm. Well,
1: for right now, I've, um, with 1500, we, I have an article coming out in um, the next day or two. It's going through the editorial process. Um, Marlins with the hot start for each each different um, team that they have in the minor leagues. So the Jumbo Shrimp, the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, and the Lowy Snappers, you know, the Jupiter Hammerheads. So that'll be coming out in the next day or two, depending on when it gets through.
0: Excellent. Where could everybody find you on social media?
1: I'm at it's uh, at still for 81. I'm only doing the Twitter thing. Uh, I don't know what this Insta book is, so I'll we'll have to figure that out one day. Um, and one parting thought I'll leave you is uh, if you're looking for a young under the radar type pitcher to add to your fantasy rosters, or you want to start watching some really amazing stuff, look up Yuri Perez. He's playing for single a East, the Jupiter hammerheads, and he's killing it this year. He's 17 go, years old.
0: You get a free tip from Stouffer. Free tip. All right, buddy. Hey, I can't, again, can't thank you enough. Um, later in the summer when the Mets and Marlins light link back up, we'll have to uh, have you back on. Sounds perfect, man. Thanks. Have a great day. Same to you, brother. Take care. All right, guys. You heard... Uh we recap the week. We talked to Stouffer. We found out what's going on down in Miami and all over with those, the Jumbo Shrimp. I still love that name, man, the Jumbo Shrimp. We will be back on Monday, uh, hopefully recapping a very productive weekend for these Metropolitans. And uh, yeah, you guys know where to find us, man. We're having some fun and uh, we hope to see you next time. Well, we'll be here. I hope you're here. All right. Take care, guys. Peace.